Hello, and welcome back to Tolkien with Friends. Today, Callie and I will be diving into Chapter 3 of The Hobbit, A Short Rest, and approximately 36 minutes of the extended edition of An Unexpected Journey. So, you know, as always, if you're following along, that's from about an hour and 14 minutes in to an hour and 15 minutes in, give or take some seconds. Um... This section is really where we start to get into bigger departures from the source material while also weaving in more from the appendices um, and even some Fellowship of the Ring references. Um, While there are some parts of this section of the movie that make me cringe, uh, which we will eventually get to, uh, I really think that, like, this was a really fun one to dissect and like go back and forth in my notes and this is one of my favorite parts about working on the podcast is when it's like oh like they're referencing this or like oh like I don't know if everybody caught that um so I hope everyone has just as much fun with this episode as as I did just jotting down in my little notebook um so I picture you as that all it's all the sunny meme where he's got like all those String, string diagrams everywhere. Like they were, yeah, I feel like were, that was you. This yeah, week. like there were parts where I was like, I was like, Josh, because if you don't recall, that is the name of my husband. Or it could just be a random person if that's what you want to imagine. But there were parts. <laughs> <laughs> but there were parts where I was like, hey, that, that's not a dwarf thing. And then I was like, that's a hobbit thing. And I was, so I was like, that's from Fellowship. And so. That was fun. And then, you know, cross... I was like, I'm not sure... Like, here, here's the thing. And I think a lot of women in the space do this, where they're like, I'm pretty sure that that's from this moment, but I'm going to go double check. And so that's what I do. I think there are probably other dudes on the internet that we're familiar with that are just like, this is what I said. That's it. And they don't check. We do check. So you can be rest assured that we double checked anything that we said in this episode. <laughs> um, so... When we last left Bilbo, Gandalf, and Thorin and company, we had just escaped the trolls and we found some significant treasures from their hoard. And I guess technically in both the book and the movie, we then follow the group um, as they make their way to Rivendell. However, um, a big difference here is Thorin's resistance to visiting the last homely house. In the movie, we've already established how much Thorin dislikes elves and that he absolutely doesn't want to go to Rivendell, causing Gandalf to be sneaky about how they get there. Um, In the book, however, everyone has a really nice time and doesn't care at all about going to Rivendell. They're actually like, have, you know. They're pretty okay with it. Yeah, Yeah. pretty okay with it. Nobody's like, well, I would never, you know. There's none of that. Um, In fact, it's uh, quite a treat. And, you know, they get to, they take, like, a two-week break, and... Yeah, they stay, like, 14 days mm-hmm. or more. And they, and because time can't really be counted when you're having a good old time. Um, and, you know, they get, as, you know, we learned last time, they, like, pretty much lost all their food. Um, and so they get to replenish their supplies. And it really, the only mention of any animosity between the elves and dwarves in the book is this passage dwarves don't get on well with them meaning the elves even decent enough dwarves like thorin and his friends think them foolish which is a very foolish thing to think or get annoyed with them for some elves tease them and laugh at them and most of all at their beards i like to (laughs) 
that's a wonderful passage. <laughs> you know, it's like I love the they're teasing them about their beards. Teasing them about their beards. Yeah, they're, they're just jealous. Yeah, I think they're so. Jealous. Is Kirdan the only one that has a beard? I believe yeah. so. Canonically, yeah, good for him. He's the oldest one. Good for him. I know. I, I wonder if he's ever like, because dwarves definitely hang out in the Blue Mountains, and he's pretty close to there. I wonder if there's ever been an elf that's like, haha, I'm silly dwarf beard. And he's like, hey, I also have a beard. You have a problem? <laughs> what about yeah. it? What about it? <laughs> hang up on beards. Go, go over that with me. Um, that's a new head cannon. Uh, <laughs> But this, like, the whole teasing and everything, this leads me to another big difference between the book and the movies, is the tone. Like, the- And and the book is- It's pretty lighthearted most of the time, right? And the movie, I feel like, is really struggling with that. Like, how to incorporate this more, like, silliness- And- But because it also wants to be serious at the same time, so, like- I, and I I think we've talked about this before, but this week it really hit me. So, like, in the movie, before we even make it to Rivendell, like, we have this whole orc chase, which is obviously trying to give this larger sense of urgency and, like, raising the stakes on this quest. You know, we've got problems. Um, and while I also love Sylvester McCoy's performance as Radagast here, where he shows up with, like, his Roscobel rabbits or whatever, um, it also confuses the hell out of me that he, like, offers to draw the orcs away from the dwarves, but is just... He's, like, running around in circles. Like, he doesn't do they're constantly job. right in line with where the orcs are, and I'm like... Yeah. Well... He's just like, yeah, running circles in a very open yeah, plane like you d- area. Like, he did not take them <laughs> in the opposite direction whatsoever. Just, it, I don't I don't really know. I don't really understand. I think it was just for the sake of the scene, like, being able to see the dwarves running in front and then him, like, nattering around in the back, just speeding around on his Rosgabel rabbits and... Like just humorous. It was a little bit humorous that juxtaposition. Yeah. So it's like um, so it's like I'm supposed to be worried, but I'm also like not like it's a little silly, you know. And and of course like I feel like that strikes the tone of all the hobbies. Yeah. Movies, <laughs> right there. Yeah. Because yeah. we because we you know especially in this episode we get into some of the white council stuff and you know we start you know we're we're worried about like the world at large but at the same time like the like the dwarves and the elves are just acting kind of bizarrely i don't know it's like uh it's hard for me to like get a hold about like what this movie wants me to feel do you know what i mean where i feel like in lord of the rings they really had that nailed down in a way like with the music and everything you know yeah this was uh kind of humorous but also like supposed to make you feel anxious kind of yeah so you know so additionally when we have gandalf talking to the dwarves when they finally um enter the valley of imladris because they take um like instead of doing the maneuvering their way past unexpected valleys gullies and ravines you know like that's pretty much the beginning of the chapter in the book is just them carefully making their way to rivendell Instead, here, they get away from these orcs, and then they take this underground 
passageway. Um, and so when they first enter the valley, Gandalf gives them a little speech that is really reminiscent of what he says to Pippin in Return of the, in Return of the King, including like the leaving the talking to Gandalf. And I was like, I was like, come on, like Thorin is supposed to be almost a hundred years old. And quite a leader of his people. Yeah. I think he has some diplomacy. Yes. Uh, I was like, he is not, you don't need to talk to him like he's a hobbit in his tweens. That is not what this is. And it, and it's Elrond. Like, Gandalf knows. Yeah. It's Elrond. He knows I know, I'm like, he knows it... that they can be short sometimes. Or, uh, no, not, no, not literally. <laughs> Temper-wise, people. <laughs> Temper-wise. <laughs> I don't think I've ever made that joke before, but you were no, you were just made it by You're just talking. Oh, <laughs> uh, whoops. So yeah, um, I was. But yeah, stuff like that. I was like, did you like I? You know, they're trying to make it like it's still Gandalf or whatever, but it's also like the situation is different. He, he doesn't need to do that. Like he doesn't need to say that. Um, and you know, as we further get into Rivendell, like. You know, the set, so when we first get there, immediately the music is just basically the same as what Rivendell sounded like in Fellowship, but, the you know, the situation was completely different. Like, we were actively being pursued by Nazgul. Like, of course, they were pursued by orcs, but it's also, like, I don't know. It, did, it didn't have, like, the, the same weight to me. I was like, meh. Do we really need to use that same theme? And, you know, while seeing Gandalf and Elrond together, it, that, you know, I think was a highlight of this part of the movie. Like, it really did feel like seeing two old friends reunited. Because I'm sure that that's not, like, that chemistry is real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever mm-hmm. they had a scene together, that was really nice. Um, but with the dwarves and, like, the background elves it was like a very interesting situation so for example i think that this is kind of an opportunity a missed opportunity um to show a more lighthearted side of the elves which is very which is very much prevalent in this chapter in the book so for example when they first enter the valley on their way to rivendell they are greeted by elves singing in the trees. And it's, I, we mentioned this when Anna Maria was on here, um, but I, it's, it's just the cutest, funniest little rhyme. Um, so it starts with, oh, what are you doing and where are you going? Your ponies need shoeing, the river is flowing. Oh, tra la la here down in the valley. Ha ha, like all of the passages enter the, ha ha, like it's like, and <laughs> yeah, okay, randomly like it's yeah. a very silly and it's like teasing them but also like bilbo in the story is like how do they know my name like they mentioned bilbo and balan and i think dwellin by name in the, the they poem do. as well like how do they know their name well like little whisper yeah well gandalf in the book also definitely says that they are being expected but in the movie they just like show up you know yes um yes so but it is you know bilbo feels so worlds apart from them so i thought it was cute that he was like hey how do they know my name you know how do they know who i am um this is also the point 
Callie, that you mentioned to me earlier, where uh, when they enter the valley, what does Bilbo say? Bilbo says, hmm, it smells like elves. What on earth does that mean? It smells like elves. It smells like elves. You know, this might be a nod to it, because in the movie when they first enter, like when they're close... Pilbo in the movie says that it feels like magic, and Gandalf is like, "Yeah, it is kind of magic." But and he, but he, he straight up says it smells like elves. And is that like if that were a candle? What do we got notes of in there? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, does it make sense to have rainfall and moonlight? Mm. Like, like I don't know. That's sort of what I smell. Like what I think but how do you smell moonlight moonlight doesn't like, yeah <laughs> be, oh my goodness because or is it like dew on grass mm, or is it like yeah it's a, it kind of like for some reason maybe it's because i had i have a christmas candle that i keep smelling this has um what are the notes in this one i feel like there would be some of this it has cranberry balsam fir and cedar wood i think there's got to be some of that in there yeah because christmas smells magical and those are kind of Christmassy smells. I don't know. That was what immediately came to mind to me. But I think there's probably also like, yeah, I don't know. Listeners, we need your help. Yeah, we need to know what you think elves would smell like. Yeah, we need it smells like we got it. We need to know what you. Yeah. yeah, we gotta get like a consensus on this because now it's um, it's bothering me. <laughs> this is my new obsession yeah, like, now. Bilbo, what? <laughs> based on what? <laughs> yeah, based on what? Yeah, why would you say that? <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, that is a moment that has always stuck with me from this chapter, and I'm like, carry it with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what does that mean? Smell? I know. I'm just gonna be like, could that be an elf? Like, <laughs> I don't know. We're but but fresh. I yeah, think. I think definitely. Um, like I, and light. I don't, I don't yeah. Know. I, Cause I think there's gotta be some kind of smell that implies something about age, you know, like, Oh, well that doesn't make me think of No, but smell. like, I mean, trees are old, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like yes, that, like yes. that, like a, like a kind of, Oh, I don't know. I'm stuck on that one. Somebody right. that is better at this. Yeah. Listeners, please. <laughs> yeah. Someone who works in like scented candles or yeah, something. Yeah, we are yeah. calling to you to figure out what the hell the Valley of Imladra smells like. Let us know. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> uh, so in the movies, in this particular section, you know, they're almost, they're like almost immediately invited to dinner, right? And they are the elves in the background are giving like off very serious vibes they're like playing harps and apparently only very, urban yeah. salad yeah like the elves were on a hunting in the movies they so they go to the whoever greets them i think this guy deserves a name but they never give him one what lindy um but he shows up is that his mm-hmm. name the, the elf who greets yeah them? oh yes he used to be thank you well, the fans called him Figwit, and then they gave him a real name in <laughs> The Hobbit. Oh, good. I'm glad he has one. So, yeah, and he's like, 
being like, oh, Elrond is not here, as if to be like, shoo, go yeah. away. When then Elrond suddenly shows up, he's like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to keep the meeting. Yeah. Um, but they were like, they were, I mean, I guess they were hunting orcs, but the the point is that they are hunters. Mm. They are hunters. They definitely eat meat. They yeah. Just, yeah. And it's like, I mean, I know the movies, like, at every turn, we kind of see them making the dwarves out as if they're incapable of behaving you know what i mean like they're little nuts at bilbo's house they go off the rails definitely and rivendell and it's like which is so odd to me because they are also very old you know what i mean like, everyone's hella older than bilbo and at the same time they make the yeah. elves like super serious and to me it kind of feels like peter and team missed the memo on rivendell being a perfect house and in the book it describes that as whether you liked food or sleep or work or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all, it was perfect. And it's like, food is the number one category <laughs> in that description. So I think, and obviously from Lord of the Rings, we know that they eat all kinds of manners. You know what I mean? Like an, a normal kind of typical uh, spread would be expected at Rivendell. So kind of kind of weird that they make it out like they only eat salad. <laughs> and listen to flute music. Yeah, and harps and flutes harps. and yeah. Look very and it's just a so this is a passage um, from the book that comes right after the song. Um, so they, being the elves, laughed and sang in the trees and pretty fair nonsense. I dare say you think it. Not that they would care. They would only laugh all the more if you told them so. They were elves, of course. And, like, does that sound like the elves of, of Agent Elrond's um, mm. house? Not really. Yeah. I Yeah, I think that they really missed an opportunity. Yeah, there. because, of course, in Lord of the Rings, like, the, the world is at stake, right? Like, we're not really taking time for much merriment, even though they, they do in the books. But I get why it's not so much in the in the movies. But here... You know, we're... They call it a watchful piece. Mm -hmm. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Like, they're not... So they can be. Yeah, there's definitely a different vibe throughout Middle-earth. You know what I mean? Like, there are troubles, but people are able to take time for more merriment. And, you know, I think that, especially with elves, they, they've seen so much. Like, they have to kind of make time for that, you know? I feel like to stay sane. And I think that... While we know in, like, the Silmarillion, like, the elvish history is, like, fraught. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I love that about the elves in The Hobbit. And I I think it would have been so cool if... And another point of, like, kind of softening for... And, like, preparing for, like, Legolas and Gimli's relationship later if they had been very welcoming. And we know that Elrond is chill with the dwarves. You know, we know that, you know and other dwarves show up there later and you know what i mean like i just think that the the whole point of rivendell is to be this like welcoming refuge for folks so it's it's weird that they're just like it's completely at odds the whole time you know yeah that doesn't reflect really what the books um what the books say. yeah and it's just like i just uh it just kind of makes me sad to that there are probably people walking around with that impression that like it's 
elves and dwarves just do not like each other you know and it's not necessarily the case like sure they have their preferences they're different but they absolutely can get along and have a good time absolutely and there is a much longer history there that is probably for another podcast yeah <laughs> they're on again off again relationship mm-hmm. yeah something else from the book though that now that i'm looking at it um is when the elves when they see bilbo the hobbit on a pony they say isn't it delicious <laughs> and i <laughs> I find that so weird. I find it weird when we describe not food things as being. Delicious, I feel like people do that more now than they did in the thirties. Yeah. So that's kind of amazing. Yeah. I love that line. Just look, Bilbo the Hobbit on a pony, my dear. Isn't it delicious? I love it. I love. Yeah. The the elves are so cool, and I feel like their their coolness is kind of taken away in this scene in the movie, and I'm like. Mm. These guys wouldn't sing Tralala Lally. <laughs> Where's my Tralala Lally down in the yeah. valley? <laughs> to stay would be jolly, to leave would be folly. Uh. <laughs> Definitely. I think it was, yeah, a missed opportunity for yeah. sure. That would have been. They didn't need to rewrite all of the like the stuff. They could have just gone with what was already here. Yeah. It would have been beautiful. Yeah, and it, what's funny is that, so they have dinner, right? And they're like, upset about the music they're upset about the food and so then the i think it's bofer in the movie decides to he's had enough with the harp music and the flutes or whatever he's gonna sing a song and he leads the, the dwarves and another song and if the peter jackson movies made you believe that there's anything dwarvish about this song i forgive you but this song is composed by none other than bilbo and how do I know that? Because Frodo sings this song at the Prancing Pony in the Fellowship of the Ring. And of course, it whenever a song like this comes up, it mentions that Bilbo wrote it, if it Bilbo did write it. And as a you know, if you don't remember, um, this is inst- I don't even remember, like instead of tripping over himself and like falling into the ring or whatever happens in the movie, he gets up on the table to prevent Pippin from blabbing about Bilbo in the ring. Um, You know, he he gives a little speech, says stuff about, like, thank you for welcoming us and blah, blah, blah. And then they they ask him to sing a song because that's just what happens at inns. And so he sings a song about a merry old inn, you know, where the beer is very brown. And and it's it's the song that Bofer sings. Um, and, and, you know, he gets a little too carried away. He does a little dance. He falls. And he's been fingering the ring in his pocket the whole time. So he falls. And that's how it slips on his finger. And that's how, like, that whole thing happens. And that's... They just lifted that song. when And I was like... When he started talking about, like, a cat and a fiddle, I was like, okay. If that's... If the only song that they have the rights to that says that is what B- Frodo sings... Brie and so I looked and I was like yep I re-listened to that scene solely and I was like these are the words they might have changed it a little bit because I didn't like fully listen to the whole thing again but I was like they are definitely lifting from this prancing pony scene in fellowship and so I was just like when it first happened I was just like kind of cackling at the idea of the song being dwarvish when it screams Bilbo and that's another thing about this movie like they don't show this side of Bilbo so much. He's very like, ah, what is the word that I want? Like the Bilbo in the movie is very much like, 
you know, he doesn't, he's not very silly. Like, he's very much just, like, stuck in his ways until later. You know what I mean? But, like, Bilbo's a silly guy. And I'm sure that that song was written later post-Erebor adventure. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's Bilbo to a T. And so to give it to the dwarves is just so, like, ironic to me. <laughs> I don't know. When I was watching this scene, uh, all I could think about was how much food they throw. So much. They're always throwing it. <laughs> they, like, do they have to throw food everywhere? Just throwing rolls. And yeah, like they just tipping over salad bowls. The way they character, it just feels like a caricature of both dwarves and elves in this scene because they're both like hyper serious or super silly, and like one's very like high class you know what i mean like one is very much like probably goes to the opera and the others you know probably just you know for their local entertainment go to a bar you know what i mean like that's like the vibe that they're putting and i'm like that's not that's not quite right it's not really the impression that i would want to leave people with but it does toe the line though of like like the the, the vibe of the movies and, mm. and 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 all that with the elves being a certain way and the doors being another way and, yeah and them not I, but, it just like feels a little heavy-handed yeah. do you know what i mean like like i, I sure if you because it is still kind of silly to have the elves being like pl- playing the flute like right in their face it's just like <laughs> Like, right in his eardrum. Yeah. <laughs> that was very silly. I know. You know, so it's like they're being serious, but it has, like, this... I don't know, but, like, the music is, like, the serious stuff from Fellowship, but then everyone's kind of acting, like, goofy. I don't know. It's like... I don't... I just don't know how to feel in this scene. I think you just feel that there wasn't enough nuance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Give these people some layers, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so that's but I mean this scene keeps going. <laughs> going. It's sure We're not done yet. It sure does. And and one thing, you know, like we did mention the reunion of Gandalf and Elrond, which is lovely and like I love Hugo Weaving and um but this made me remember i mean you know we read this passage when they first arrive about um not only about how great rivendell is that it's perfect but also about um how it describes elrond and i just thought it was really cool um it's amazing it's so neat and it's i don't think any other characters described this way you know um throughout any of the books really um so it says he was as noble and as fair in face as an elf lord as strong as a warrior as wise as a wizard as venerable as a king of dwarves and as kind as summer i love that so much i reread that two or three times yeah. uh, just this time when i was reading it mm-hmm. and i was like, i love that kind as summer i know it's like he's got and I think that that's like the the what you're supposed to be left with, right? Like he has all these capabilities, but it, it kind of feels like the impression you're left with is the last one, you know? Like he's like approachable and caring, you know what I mean? He's kind and 
fun to be around and but he's got he can do all these other things but he doesn't you know he doesn't just like act like a warrior the whole time or he doesn't just act like an elf lord the whole time like you can be this guy's friend which is cool yeah and i think hugo weaving in the hobbit when i first read that and before i had rewatched the scenes mm-hmm. i was like i was thinking of of and i call him agent elrond all the time <laughs> yeah 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 agent smith and yeah um <laughs> and i was like that kind of summer like that does not describe the elrond that i picture from the lord of the rings trilogy mm. but then when i rewatched the hobbit one he he is making like notable efforts to smile more sometimes it looks a little painful <laughs> but you know. yeah he does like joke around with gandalf but, more yeah and puts it puts his hand on shoulders mm-hmm. and he you know he's really he's he is a different i felt anyway a different elrond from the one in the trilogy mm-hmm. which made me really happy yeah um, because of course they will have changed and that's the thing all that time because it's like he did still feel like an elf lord he did still feel like elrond but he was softer you know and he mm. he was he was a little more playful and with the rest of the elves that were there they were just like being so weird i was like what is happening <laughs> no <laughs> the one guy who's like our our kitchens are under yeah and i was like come <laughs> on that's not possible <laughs> no way no way and so um i love the scenes with elrond and the moon runes i think that was done very well um you know i feel like we're more on track with like what's going on with the book um it, it was a slight variation of like Balin and thorn getting excited about the discovery of the keyhole because in the movie of course they're trying to pretend like they're not actually going to erebor and then it's like elrond just being like oh so that's what you're up to um you know in the book though it says that elrond doesn't he doesn't disapprove on that level i mean it's not super off but it says for if he did not altogether approve of the dwarves and their love of gold because I know that the movies really tries to make it out like they're reclaiming their homeland. It's always been about money. Let's just be clear. Like, Thorin doesn't want people to get the money that he sees as rightfully his. That's really the thing here, okay? So, because it's been so long since anyone's seen Smog, he's starting to wonder if Smog died. He thinks that other people are thinking that. You know what I mean? So, for Elrond, again, for if he did not altogether approve of dwarves and their love of gold, he hated dragons and their cruel wickedness, and he grieved to remember the ruin of the town of Dale and its merry bells and the burned banks of the bright river running. So, like, this is an empathetic guy. And so, and also, like, another thing, like, that's why I was like, come on, Thorin, like, the movie Thorin was very much like, elves, and it's like, no, he understands that you went through something horrible you know what i mean and he's like yeah get it i guess but you know has his reservations about their motivations you know so i don't know he's not trying to like hinder them from what they want to do and in fact you know helps them with the whole moon runes thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then after that scene where we you know we discover the moon runes we get the news about the keyhole and the thrush knocking on Durin's day 
we get a scene with the orcs where surprise surprise azog isn't dead after all <laughs> hey i guess yeah <laughs> i mean you know like in the book he's very dead and has no part in the story but he is here for whatever reason um and you know he's uh he's on his request for revenge or whatever and uh it's it's whatever to me if it didn't i feel like totally throw off the balance of the story but so far it hasn't been too bad in my if my memory serves i think it gets more to where it just feels like orcs and dwarves more than it does bilbo we haven't quite i mean it is pretty heavy on dwarves right now it hasn't quite over killed it on the orc stuff yet the only thing that i thought was interesting really about this scene is that um Right before Azog kills one of his lieutenants, he pets, like, his main warg, like, the one that coincidentally matches him, because <laughs> they're yeah. <laughs> super white. Because, you know, dogs look like they're homies. Mm-hmm. Apparently. <laughs> um, and I, I just thought that was interesting that he pets him like that, because, I mean, later we'll talk more about this when we actually get to... Um, out of the frying pan into the fire where we see more of the wargs um particularly in the books but i just thought it was interesting that like like we're gonna see later that wargs are pretty autonomous and are like an ally of the orcs and not necessarily pets so it's uh they're obviously like painting a different relationship between warg and orc in this so i just wanted to call that out yeah it's a it's a weird moment of tenderness mm-hmm. for azog mm-hmm. Uh, yeah but everybody lives for a dog pet yeah. so i mean how, how and it's uh, like how... i mean we've never really had talking animals in peter jackson's version of middle earth um even though they it does happen you know what i mean um so i get why they don't really do that with the wargs either uh but yeah just another difference you know um, and, and I don't, and wargs don't really play that much of a part in, um, the books anyway of, like, the Lord of the Rings, so, you know, they get to talk later in The Hobbit, but they don't really do much in the, we never have scenes with them like that, that's more, like, told in a third, uh, what am I saying? Like, secondhand or in the, you know, not in a scene with somebody it's usually like if there are war because it's kind of just told about uh, to us you know right okay like a second yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah so that but they definitely use them like like horse dogs mm-hmm. in the movie yeah but i feel yeah. like it's like they even have like bridles and stuff for them and whatever yeah <laughs> and it it is funny though that peter went with a different design for the wargs i don't know what that means in his like movie lore or whatever like is he thinking that like the version that saruman has later are kind of like a science experiment wargs and these are like naturally born wargs or something because you know the ones in lord of the rings they have more like a snub nose and they've got like They've had very different. Which ones were the more hyena-looking ones? The, I think the ones in the Lord of the Rings, ones? yeah. Yeah. But these ones look more wolfy. 
They do. Mm-hmm. They do. They're definitely very scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like all the teeth. It's just so much. There's a lot of teeth and a lot of growling. Mm-hmm. Rah, 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 yeah, when they get real close to the camera. Yeah. Yeah, but I just thought it was interesting that he went with a different design when it's like he's he's trying to make Gandalf feel like Lord of the Rings Gandalf and Elrond. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. Gotta change some things, I, I guess. I guess so. He's just like, I'm not feeling it anymore. The words are gonna be different. Yeah. Um, and so then after that, we have an extended scene of Bilbo exploring Rivendell. At least I'm like 99% sure that's extended because I don't remember it at all. Where he's just kind of cute. And I don't remember around. It from the original one. Yeah. yeah. So he's just wandering around and then Elrond shows up. Um, and I know this is all just for the film, but I thought it was kind of funny because they, it feels like they created the scene just so that they could make this certain fellowship reference. So Elrond says to Bilbo that he's heard that hobbits are very resilient and they are also very fond of the comforts of home. To which Bilbo replies, I've heard it's unwise to seek the council of elves for they will both answer yes and no. Um, and fellowship of the ring... And Frodo is talking to Gildor after they're being pursued by the Nazgul. He's asking him what he should do since Gandalf, he hasn't found Gandalf. And uh, Gildor is like, you know, you could wait or you could go. You know, he doesn't really give him a definitive, like, keep going, Buster, or stay put. And so Frodo responds, it is also said, go not to the elves for counsel, for they will say both no and yes. So it's like, the same, but, like, tweaked a little bit. Uh, and I was like, yes, I want to see Bilbo and Elrond together and interacting. But I also feel like the they didn't need to just, like, rip off this line. You know what I mean? Because I like, I do like the line, and I'm glad it made it in somewhere. Mm, that's like, fair. I, do like that I just feel like the they should have, like, I don't know. Like, because it's Elrond that finds Bilbo. It's not like Bilbo went to him for advice. So for him to be like, oh, don't seek counsel from the elves. I'm like, you weren't, though. <laughs> <laughs> but then Elrond does give him that glimpse that he, he shows a goofier side, um, which was good, where he like he's, he sort of frowns at him for mm. a moment and Bilbo's like, oh, my God, did I say the wrong <laughs> thing? And then, and, then he's, and then he cracks a smile, you know, and then Bill's, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's true I, I actually appreciated that moment and i thought that showed a little that you know was a little more live yeah i think that they definitely should have had a scene together i probably would have just had him say something else. That line. yeah or have him actually yeah. ask elrond a question to in order to say yeah. that <laughs> to make to, to make that conversation yeah. make sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. all because i think they're great together <laughs> i think it's really nice uh but i was just like all right uh but you know Maybe I'm being too nitpicky, but it didn't make it into the theatrical, so maybe someone else said the same thing. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Now, I'm going to ignore the next part, which is the CG dwarf swimming naked in a fountain. Um, <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about, about it. Like, it's not worth no. it. Um, <laughs> so that we can get to the White Council. So for this part, I went back to the Appendix A and B in Return of the King, and particularly the timeline section of the Third Age. Um, 
which outlines the formation of the White Council, things with Dolgador, and, you know, the deeds for several hundred years. And as you might expect, all of this is very condensed in the movies, which, like, totally makes sense. But it's the vibes are there, you know? Like, Gandalf having concerns about Dolgador, Smaug, only for them to basically be dismissed by Saruman. That's all very true. Um, and, of course, for the movie, they make it seem like old Sharky is more concerned about the quest of the dwarves. But Saruman has never really cared about it. He, he, I don't think he's ever commented on that, as far as I'm aware. Um, and, you know, they, they bring in this element about, like, the Witch King's burial. Which I think is funny because who how how are they burying the witch king do you know what i mean like this guy became a nazgul long ass time ago they do reference the war of like the ang you know the, the war with angmar and all of that by saying like the burial of um rudaur or whatever it is that galadriel says like that is an area that was under the purview of the witch king in early third age but he would not be buried anywhere because he was already in Nazgul. His life is, like, tied to the ring. He doesn't really have a form. You know, there's nothing to bury. And he's never killed because, you know, Eowyn. So I just thought that was funny that they, like, made up this whole, like, Witch King burial. And they're like, how did they get this Buried in, 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 a, in a grave so deep that it could never come to light that yeah. that all the whole that part, part. Yeah. besides that everything's fine here i would say like <laughs> like i get it and i do remember seeing that in the movie and being like ooh like spooky um but then thinking about it today i was like boy isn't no <laughs> he's not buried nowhere <laughs> like <laughs> nobody's got their hands on the witch king um because all that stuff happened in the third age and we know that he never gets defeated in any kind of way until later which is why the whole eowyn thing is so cool you know so the the whole part in the movie about the morgul blade is that just made yeah. up then and that's nowhere in the in the other no. material that you Peter just before. loves a Morgul blade. You know what I'm saying? Just loves Morgul. He blade. just loves it. Loves to stick them in there. Because visual. Yeah, because like later when we're in Lake Town, I know that there's gonna be like a Morgul arrow thing, which is no. Um, oh. we don't have. There's not that much Morgul stuff, guys. Which implies it's from Minas Morgul, which is not Angmar. You see what I'm saying? Like the, the war that they're talking about. Like he was, he wasn't in Minas Morgul when, so he wouldn't have Morgul blade. Hmm. Right. But other than that, it's fine. It's you know what I mean. Like the whole like the vibes from Saruman are right. I like that they have the little mind reading thing because that's something that's like. We see it with Galadriel in um, Lothlorien, right, with the Fellowship, but it's more like, that's also kind of spooky. It's like she's testing them, you know, she's like kind of mysterious at this point. But I like that it's just, 
her and Gandalf being like cheeky to each other. I like that. I think that's cool. Um, so I didn't like how they introduced her in the scene. Oh, really? Where she's remember how she's she's spinning weirdly, the, yeah, and, or rotating um, on like not a knot floor and not moving her legs. Yeah, it kind of like, makes me think of an owl. You know how they can just swivel their head around. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I know I'm jumping ahead, but and then at the end of the scene, mm-hmm. she's like talking to Gandalf, and they're holding hands, and then she's just gone. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what this like flirty thing they've got going with Gandalf and Galadriel is. Hmm. It's I I don't know why I don't they're just like who's Celeborn? I <laughs> <laughs> This is like this is obviously a chronic problem with adaptations. <laughs> I see. Cuz <laughs> he's justice for Celeborn. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> oh. She's just off. Oh. I just mm, no, but like the stuff with you know them meeting and all of that, like that's cool. Like them talking about, like even the thing that Gandalf says about how smog could be disastrous if not dealt with. Like that's something that he says to Thorin um, when they originally decided to come up with this quest to begin with. So it's obviously something that Gandalf has totally thought about and. So that makes sense. But if anybody is interested in how that White Council stuff all plays out, um, I've taken... So there's a ton of stuff that happens in the Third Age that isn't even touched on by Lord of the Rings. and But it is in Appendix B. So I just pulled out some of the dates that have to do with Dolgador, the Necromancer, the White Council stuff. Um, just to show like how insane... How much time all of that actually took. Just for fun. Just for the funsies. Um, So in the year 2060. So we're already more than 2000 years into the third age. Um, We've got the power of Dol Godor growing. And the wise fear it may be Sauron taking shape again. Like we're already thinking. Sauron? Is that you? Um. Three years later, in 2063, Gandalf actually goes to Dol Guldur, and Sauron retreats and hides in the east. He's like, ooh, don't look at me. And he, so he, he goes to, like, Mordor or something. Um, and this is when the Watchful Peace begins, because, you know, their, like, suspicions are up. Um, and we hear Elrond in this White Council scene in the movie reference the Watchful Peace that they're in. Um, but because we're condensing it, I think he's allowed to say that. The Nazgul remain quiet in Minas Morgul at this point. So they're not up to much. They're not at Dol... So in the movie, they kind of implied that the Witch King is at Dol Gador. He's like a spooky ghost guy. Um, by t- It takes until 2,400... Year 2460. So 2,460 years. Basically, 400 more years from that point. <laughs> for the Watchful Peace to end. And... Sauron returns to Dolgador with increased strength. So I think that's funny that he's like trying to make Dolgador his new spot. Not so much Mordor at this point. He wants that to be a spot. And in Appendix A, when it talks about his meeting with Gandalf's meeting with Thorin, it talks about how he is concerned that Sauron is seeking to strike Rivendell, which I didn't realize. That was originally Sauron's plan. 
And that's why he was concerned about Smaug. Huh. Because he's like, oh, he's like neighbors, basically. He could just be like, yo, 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 let's hook up and attack Rivendell. You know what I mean? Like, that he's building up this army. He's doing something. Gandalf knows it's something. And he thinks that Smaug would play a big part and believes that he's going to attack Rivendell, which, interesting. Um, so it isn't, and it's three years later again, 2463, when the White Council is formed. I'm not 100% sure who all is on the White Council. Like, I'm pretty sure it's all the wizards. Well, not all. We don't know what the deal is with the blue wizards. Definitely Gandalf and Saruman. I'm sure Elrond and Galadriel are a part of it as well as in probably some other people that are not named. But so I get why they put who they put in the. I don't know why Radagast wasn't invited, but whatever. He, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't get a lot of respect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we've got the White Council forming, and then it's like 300 and something more years later, 2770, when, that's when Smog shows up to Erebor. Um, so that's when he destroys Dale and eats all the dwarves and then takes up house in Erebor. Um, we, we get... Almost another hundred years, 2845. So, you know, the War of the Dwarves and the Orcs has already happened. He can't retake Moria. Thrain, Thorin's dad, um, he has gone off with Balin and Dwalin, and, but he is pursued by servants of Sauron. You know, wargs, orcs chasing him. Kind of what they're doing with Thorin's story in The Hobbit. Very similar. He's being pursued by the same, even evil birds. Um, and they are near uh, the borders of Mirkwood. And there's this horrible rain. They call it like a black rain. And he gets stuck. Like they, so it's dark. It's, the rain is probably really loud. He gets taken and imprisoned in Dolgodor. And because Sauron wants the last dwarvish rings. And, you know, in this white council scene, Gandalf does mention that he is concerned about that last ring's location because all the other ones are accounted for, either eaten by dragons or, you know, they know Sauron has some of them, but this last one, nobody's really sure where it is. It actually says in the appendix that the dwarves believe that Thoror still had it or something, um... That he had taken it with him to Moria, and so it's probably lost there. But actually, it did get passed to Thrain, and he's imprisoned in Dolgador for it. In 2850, so five years later, Gandalf enters Dolgador and discovers that it is indeed Sauron. Which, it's funny because in my original remembering of how the White Council stuff played out, I didn't realize that they actually knew it was Sauron this whole time. Um, for most of this time, hundreds, so many years that they actually knew it was Sauron, um, doing things in Dolgador. I just thought, and you know, they call him the necromancer in the Hobbit. And I think that's because Tolkien hadn't exactly figured it out that it was Sauron. Um, so 2850 Gandalf enters Dolgador, discovers it's Sauron and that he's gathering all the rings that he can, like all the ones that are left. Um, cause we already know where the nine are and he's seeking for news of the one and of a sealed or's heir. So that's Aragorn. 
Um, and he finds Thrain, like, imprisoned, and that's where he gets, like, the key and the map. And But Thrain, unfortunately, also dies in Dolgador. He isn't able to rescue him. He's, like, you know, lost his... He's too far yeah. gone, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next year, 2851, the White Council meets. Gandalf urges an attack on Dolgador. Like, it's like, yo, bad things are happening. And Saruman overrules him. Uh, and it says that at this point, Saruman also begins to search near the Gladden Fields for the One Ring. Um, sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. So he's like, no, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. And then he's also like, I need to find the One Ring. Um, 2890, Bilbo was born. All right. All of this has happened. <laughs> centuries yeah <laughs> bilbo is just now born all right and so then 2939 saruman discovers that sauron's servants are searching the anduin so see he doesn't care that he's out for aragorn and that he's trying to he's like murdering people sauron then when he realizes that he starts to get nervous when sauron is searching for the one ring like he has therefore learned of how Isildur died in the Anduin, and he is alarmed, but says nothing to the council, is how it puts it. And then it's not till just a few years later, 2941, and that's where we are right now, the events of The Hobbit, the White Council meets. Saruman agrees to an attack on Dolgador, um, since he now wishes to prevent Sauron from searching the ring, and Sauron, having made his plans, abandons Dolgador, and we know where he goes next, right? to Mordor. And that is why most of the War of the Ring happens in the south. Because he decides to pick up and go to Mordor instead of keeping his base at Dolgador. Which is pretty interesting. It's also will make, this also makes sense, like late in the appendix it also says that it's late summer when they attack Dolgador when Gandalf pieces out. And so that's like we know that it's midsummer when they leave Rivendell. They probably so that's like you know after Bayorn he's like, I got stuff to do and he leaves. So we'll see that later and we can remind you if you need it. Um, but yeah, that's the the timeline of the the Dolgador mess. I always love an anti recap. They're just so so phenomenally entertaining but succinct and. That was awesome. Stop! <laughs> Don't be nice to me. You really did research, girl. I tried. I just thought it was so interesting that it's like, so basically Peter takes that timeline and then smooshes it all to happen within the one year. Like, obviously the White Council isn't just forming. That I think it's implied that they hang out sometimes. You know what I mean? That Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, but they just happen to have this midsummer meeting. And, but... You know, they're definitely, because Gandalf was ringing the alarm bell several times, you know? I mean, 900 years ago, and then again, like, 100 years ago, so, yeah. So they're condensing a lot of that, but I think it's cool to include it in the movies. That is cool. And I love seeing Christopher Lee back. Love him. Yes. Yes. 
hate his character, but I, I love his character. Yeah. <laughs> he does it so well, you know. And what's interesting is that I've seen interviews where he's talking about his return of Saruman in The Hobbit, which I honestly kind of surprised that he did it because I know he was kind of miffed at Peter for cutting him out of Return of the King. Um, at least that's the impression I got. But so he comes back and in the interviews, he's very convinced about, he's like speaking about how he's like showing Saruman before his fall, which is interesting because I think that happened super long. Like, you know what I mean? Like he was thinking about how he could use the one ring a long time ago, but I guess you could, I mean, you know, with the condensing and everything, I guess you could say that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just so interesting to see how much time all of that took, you know, because with the way movies move, I mean, it makes sense. It makes it feel like things happen so fast, right? But it was really like hundreds of years of Middle Earth history that we're, we're getting to see at this point. That is cool. I didn't even realize that till you just told us right just now. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Love me a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> and I really think there is so I mean, this isn't even, there is so much other stuff that happens with the Third Age in just the the timeline alone. Um, like, there's two pages that I didn't even talk about of timeline. From just the third wow. age. Oh, yeah. So. There's a lot of stuff happening. There is a lot. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we just keep getting more. Lord of the Rings adjacent content. Just from the appendices. Yeah, because my notes for the chapter were about three quarters of a page. And then my notes for the movie part were... Uh, about two two and a half makes sense so i was like there is a lot going on they like they definitely add a, a lot because like really in the chapter is it's very short and chapters yeah a short rest is super short and it's really them just hanging out we you know we get to learn about the moon runes and um duran's day being the first day of the dwarves new year and the thrush knocking um but it's really a very chill chapter overall but like they wasted a whole paragraph on what are moon letters moon letters are rune letters which you can read by the moon <laughs> like seriously oh it's for babies <laughs> it's for babies callie it's for babies <laughs> i do love that there's like there's a part in here tolkien will randomly do this well you know, he's like, he'll start to explain something. And he'll be like, well, you'll see more about that later. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> keep that yeah. in mind. It's like, okay, you just gotta keep reading. Um, and he does stuff like, I wish I had time to tell you even a few of the tales or one or two of the songs that they heard in that house. All of them, the ponies as well, grew refreshed and strong in a few days there. You know, he's just like, I wish I could tell you more about what was going on, but there's Really not much, you know, but uh, we don't have the time because it's a short rest, a two week short, short rest. rest. (laughs) And here we are with like, you know, I, you know, I have friends where it's like, you have to save for months 
to get two weeks off at work. And here they are. Oh, jeez. Just taking two weeks off. Just chilling, Just, yeah. yeah. Diving in the fountain. Yeah. Oh my gosh, don't, Callie. <laughs> I refuse to think about that scene for even more, one more second. No. It was very silly. It scarred me. It was very silly. Oh. Because <laughs> it's also like, the CG isn't that great. So I'm like, why is it there? No, no, it's no. <laughs> it's unnecessary. It's funny. It's funny is why uh, it's there. They were funny enough. They didn't need it. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> you poor guys. <laughs> um, but that's really a short rest. Um, and next time we have Overhill and Underhill. Which uh, definitely means Misty Mountain time. And Sounds like fascinated it, yeah. to see how much more Peter adds to that section. Because um, I really don't remember the Hobbit movies that much. I'm realizing as I'm rewatching them that I don't remember. I, yeah, there's stuff that I outright don't remember. So I don't know if I never saw it or if I really just had wiped yeah. it. From my memory. It's <laughs> the one where it's like, I definitely saw it. I only saw the theatrical cut, though. I've never... Oh. If I've... I don't think I've seen the extended cut before this. So. Okay. So this is a real treat. Yeah. You you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Next time, our treat is Overhill and Underhill. And I keep telling myself I should do this, but don't forget to subscribe wherever it is that you like to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so that you always get notified when we upload new ones. I shoot for every two weeks, but life, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and be sure to follow us on social media, like on Twitter and Instagram. So if you want to see some exclusive clips from the podcast, so you can see what our faces are doing sometimes. Um, and you know, if you're loving it, then please leave a review. That would be super helpful. And we would really appreciate it. If you want to leave us a glowing review, all other reviews are not accepted. Um, <laughs> And you have to let us know what you think elves smell like. Please. We are that was the waiting with bated breath to hear what that candle would smell like. So thanks again to Callie for walking through The Hobbit with me. It is quite the journey. Uh, I won't say unexpected because I planned it, um, but it has been a wild ride, and I but I've been really enjoying it. This has made rewatching the Hobbit movies way more fun than I remembered that it could be. <laughs> awesome! I'm glad we could do that for you. <laughs> I'm so glad. Me too. Me too. <laughs> it's been really a revelation because Josh hated them vehemently like he was like mar, mar, mar. you know like he just really could talk about how much he dislikes them but every time i've wa- turned them on to do podcast stuff he's like oh why'd you turn it off i'm like because the chapter ended i can't keep going i'll get confused <laughs> so so that's been fun i think we've all been having a good time with the hobbit book accurate or no yeah 
Yeah. I, I still it Tolkien is always a good Yeah, it, it sticks with me what Anna Maria said about like it's we're here for the vibes, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that definitely has like encapsulated how I feel. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So well that's all she wrote for short rest, and we will see you soon for Overhill and Underhill. Thanks for listening. <laughs>